You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Thank you for being here. I want to look into Mark chapter 9 today. I'm excited about this morning. Um, I studied to the point I was confused yesterday, so... um, I get I get a little nervous, but it's excited nervous to talk about things like the topic today because there's there's a couple guys sitting out here and I I, I tend to look their way every now and then when I say something because I'm like is that like just being just that nervousness you know kind of thing because they're like resident experts on on the stuff and um, of course I have my viewpoints and there's non-essential stuff that we all have different viewpoints on the gospel is the gospel. The Bible does have a meaning, and God intended it to mean something, um, and that's the the journey of life of reading the Bible is discovering things, learning because you just don't know it all right up front, right? So it's it's great to learn and and study, and um, the older I get, it seems like the more I actually enjoy that part of it. Whereas a young pastor, you leaned more to the um, doing and um, different side of ministry. Just a little more active. I guess I'm slowing down and I like to, I'm turning into a nerd. Okay. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, I know some of you are like, you already were. Like, don't even play like that. Okay. Um, anyway, so maybe I lost my glasses, so I'm not a nerd anymore. Okay. Um, don't tell my parents that though, because I lose stuff and they get, they fuss at me. Okay. Um, they give me something to take home to the kids, and they're like, no, don't lose this, okay? I'm like, okay. Those of you that hand me little pieces of paper all the time, like, here, call this, do this. I'm like, you'll never see that. No, nobody will ever see that piece of paper again, okay? Um, anyway, excited about this morning, and I know I say that just about every morning anymore, but it's I'm just, I'm really being off, what we say authentic around here, one of our core values. You don't have to pretend around here and just just be yourself. Don't have to wear a mask doesn't mean you can say or do whatever you want to and not understand that we want to correct and guide and learn to do things better, but not a license to hurt others or sin, but you can be where you are in life and it'll be okay. There's grace and mercy and forgiveness there, even from the church and, you know, just to help each other get and move towards Christ. You don't have to be perfect because none of us are, okay? If you had to be perfect to be here in church, then I couldn't be here, okay? But be okay with being encouraged and pushed towards being more like Christ the way we were made to be. So um, we just want to help you wherever we are. So I, when I say I'm excited, I, I don't just say that when I'm not just to just to play the pastor role and get everybody excited. I'm really, I, like I was saying earlier, I'm just really excited about God's Word, and hopefully you are too, okay? I hope you are. And if you're not, hopefully God can help you get there. So we're in Mark chapter 9 today. We're going to talk about what's known as the transfiguration, uh, which sounds like a really crazy word. And you're like, ooh, that's a big Bible word. No, it's just uh, it's a two-part word that just means to change form. Okay, that's all it is. Like a metamorphosis, metamorphosis, one part, one part of the word, same word, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed, it's the same word. Um, it, it, it just means... Not that the internals and the essence changes. It's just, it's like a caterpillar going to a butterfly. 
it, it's still the same creature, still the same insect, it's just it's changed form, okay? So that's that's what transfiguration just means, is just changing form, okay? And, and what's interesting is some thoughts I've had about this whole deal of how amazing it is that he changed form into what he did, but I'll, I'll tell you a little bit later my take on that, but I'm just like, no, wait a minute, okay? But we're, we're in Mark chapter 9, we're going to talk about this, um, easy once you hear the historical story that we'll read, because I believe this actually happened, just like the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. These are things that happen that just, we go, if that really happened, what do you do? Like, you have to go with Jesus was the Son of God, and it's for real, and so I believe it. It's not a blind faith. There's things in Scripture that you go, if this really happened, you're talking about a, a book that was written, um, what, 40 different authors, depends on who you, who, who you look at and do your research, but Answers in Genesis would say .org, which is a great website. Y'all see me post up there from that all the time. It's absolutely wonderful um, to help understand macro, microevolution, all the different things going on in our culture and how the Bible, how scientifically, historically accurate it is. Answers in Genesis.org. I don't get paid anything from them to say all that. Okay, I know I sound like I'm giving a plug, but it's just awesome information. Take a breath. Um, but 40 different authors... Used to, you know, there again, 1500 to 2000, Answers would say 2000, over 2000 years the Bible was written. 40 different authors, three different continents it was wrote on. And yet, you get the stories like this, and you see how this story ties back to the, the Torah and to the law and to the prophets, all the way to Revelation. You go, there's no, like it's impossible that man concocted all this with the. A lot of those guys didn't even know each other, never met each other. It's not like they sat down and concocted all this stuff together. Like, let's write, let's all 40 guys write this book and let's make sure it all matches. There's details in here that you could go on forever that you just go, there's no way man can't do that. Like, not with 40 different people over three continents. You're talking about, not today with internet and email and, like, we're talking about hundreds, thousands of years ago, okay? So there's no way, like it's just you go, if this is true, it's got to change your life. It, it has, like you, if you believe it, like and you have this, you know you have this guarantee of heaven. Like don't just, I'm so, I'm already off track, this is great. Um, don't just bank on it, like there's, this is the typical Southern Baptist thing in the Bible Belt down here and some of you are going, this is a Baptist church? Okay, listen. It's the typical deal of pray a prayer, go to heaven, I'm good, and it don't just bank on heaven, and don't, and then not bank on the parts that say if you're really a believer, this is how you live. Okay, because you don't get that part of the heaven part without the this is how you live and follow Jesus. It's about following Jesus, so that's why in here the big deal today is when God comes down and says after this transfiguration, God. This cloud comes, and he says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, hey guys, this is Jesus. He knows what he's talking about. Would you just listen to it? Because we just came off of Peter being rebuked by Jesus, get behind me Satan, for saying, no, you can't go to the cross. That's crazy. He's like, no, that has to happen. And so it's like you can't get the 
good blessing, eternal, set up the kingdom. We're part of the winning side deal without the pick up your cross and follow me side of it. That's what you were just coming off of, and then he's going to show him. I'm just I'm giving away the whole sermon. Let's read Mark chapter 8, 34 through 38, okay? And it's, it says there, we're going to back up before the transfiguration because all that stuff I was just saying was what I was going to get to that you understand what we're coming off of as we go into this. It says, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So he's teaching here some authenticity too. He's teaching the disciples that they would need to deny themselves and, and need to be reprogrammed per se okay, to, by God to embrace the kind of people God wanted in the church, not just people like Peter, not just the Jews, not just good people, not just, but Roman citizens, people like me and you. And we saw last week that Peter was committed to Jesus. He was committed to Jesus and his glory and the kingdom come and man, yeah, let's take over. I'm committed to, to let's take this, take this back from Rome. They were, he was committed to winning the war and Jesus being king. He was committed to all that, but wasn't committed to the cross and how the kingdom would come, how it, all that would come about through pain and suffering and losing yourself to gain what was best. As John MacArthur would say, he was all about exaltation, but not about humiliation. And he needs the story today to learn more um, about that because Peter will, as we will see, he, he doesn't still fully get it, okay? And, and the Bible talks about how the crucifixion, it's a, referred to as a stumbling block for the Jews, okay? So it's just something they can't get past. It's, we've, been, we've, we've always read the Old Testament and knew this king was coming, we just didn't think it'd be like this, and so we can't. We just, we just, it's hard for them to accept it. Okay, so even as the crucifixion draws near, Peter says stuff like, you know, Peter says, "No, Jesus, I, I would never reject you, right?" But we know what happens. He, he, he does so on three occasions after the crucifixion. This, this event, I believe today is very crucial, and God knew it in His providential will. There's certain things God goes, I'm going to do these things to make sure my plan is accomplished. You know, there's that whole how I explain providential will and God's personal will for your life. There's moral will, his moral will. These are the morals we got to be inside of. And there's God's providential will. And we got to fall within that. And right in the center, that's God's personal will for your life. You get outside of those two things and you're going to be outside of his personal will for your life. Okay. So these are some things that God says, this is just going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, and so he does some things, and I believe this is one of them, to make to say this is this is going to happen. Okay, 
And I believe this event was crucial to the embracing of, of what was about to happen through the crucifixion and, and keeping Peter as much as he would doubt, as much, as much as he would go through those three episodes of denying Christ. I believe Jesus said to him, you'll deny me three times. Just so after the three times, he would go, who told me that? Jesus is, like, it would validate to him, okay? I just think it was Jesus just reassuring him, you're going to mess up. Like, you're not going to get everything right, but I need to keep you through this so that after the resurrection, I'm going to launch you out to start the church, and you'll have the Holy Spirit then, which will help you a whole lot. But but I want to do these things so that that will anchor you and hold you through all this difficulty and tough stuff that you don't want to accept. Sound a lot like us. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to put you through some stuff. But I'm also going to give you some stuff that's to let you know you can trust me and that it's for real. Okay? So that he'll re- embrace the reality of how things will work after all those events. This is pre-Holy Spirit indwelling. I know there's all kinds of language in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit moving people and came upon them and and different things like that. But this is this is not. They don't. Peter right now doesn't have indwelling of the Holy Spirit as we would have during this time, like we have. So there's these things I think God just does, like the transfiguration help okay because they need that and they, they need it for the internal the understanding the guidance the, the anchor they will need after christ ascends back to heaven as he says go and make disciples of all nations as he gets to the great commission okay jesus present presents in these words two different approaches to your life when he when, of what we just read in mark 8 34 through 38 um deny either you deny yourself or you live for yourself. That's just the two options. Top two options: either you embrace the cross or you ignore the cross. Either you save your own life for your sake and the world's sake, per se, or you lose your life for His sake and the gospel's sake. Two to- completely different ways of doing life. And He's talking about discipleship, really here. If, you know, if you're if you're going to follow me, this is what a disciple is. A disciple of Jesus is is much more than just a churchgoer. It's far beyond that. A disciple is is one who learns and follows on a personal level the Lord Jesus Christ by by obeying what Jesus says in His Word to do, by following the prompts of the Holy Spirit as they match Scripture. Okay. I know we get all kinds of feelings sometimes, right? Be careful of that. The Lord told me to do this. Well, does that match Scripture? Well, not exactly. Well, then the Lord didn't tell you to do that. You just want to do that. Okay? So, so it's this thing, that you not that you deny yourself things, okay? Let me qualify that too. Because God gives us good gifts. He gives us blessings. He, he wants us... He gives us all good things to enjoy, okay, Scripture says. So there's things we can enjoy, and it's a gift, it's a blessing. God will give us those things at times. It's not that way all the time. I mean, you can just, we can boil it down to the fact that we breathe air, that we're alive, and there's all kinds of gifts that we pass over every day, and we think, well, if I don't have this level of gifts, then then God's not good, right? 
But, but it doesn't mean that you just sit. It's not simply denying yourself. What it is is dethroning yourself. Not living for yourself anymore. And along with that, dying is taking up your cross, okay? And what does it mean to bear your cross? I know some of you ladies automatically in your mind you're going, well, I have my cross to bear. I have that, I have this, this husband of mine. This is my cross to bear, okay? I, you know, that's not the idea, even though you may feel that way, okay? The idea of taking up your cross is death, okay? The cross meant death. It's the end of self-ambition. It's the beginning of serving the Lord. Okay, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Following will mean there's going to be some hard times. There's going to be some persecution. There's life's Following Jesus just isn't easy. It's not going to be. It's spiritual warfare. It's, it's stepping into the battle of what matters most in the whole world. That's not going to be easy during this age. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. So who are you going to follow when it's tough? Not just when it's easy, but when it's tough, who are you going to follow? Let's look at Mark 9, 1 through 8. That's where we'll focus on today in the Transfiguration. It says there, And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of, the, of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And I, had time, I don't have time to like focus on that. Well, we're going to move on. It's a great one for you. To, it's the, I think it's the first question in your small group questions. I'll talk about that in small group. Email me your thoughts or text, whatever, later. But, but we're going to move on to, to a couple other things. It says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, interesting, those three guys, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, changed form. Okay, And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Not even my mother we take all of our kids' stuff to. When we can't get things out, we take it to my mom, okay? And she seems to be able to do magic, okay? No, as no longer on earth can whiten them. And it's interesting, you do a lot of study about this implication of God's glory and light all the way back to Old Testament to New and how it speaks of Jesus and his radiance and his glory and how Jesus is the, the visible, he's the manifestation of God's glory. He is God incarnate. And so, I'll get to some more stuff later, but even in the end of things, as new heaven, new earth are set up, it's this light that radiates from him is becomes the sun and is what lights the earth all day. And there is no night. I mean, it's just there, this idea of what this means of this light radiating to him. One, one, it's written somewhere in the Bible about like, um, kind of like lightning coming out of him, okay? There's this great light that speaks of him as this light that is like the sun and it's the sun in the sky in its full strength and it's in its highest peak at noon when it's at its brightest, okay? It's all these references to, to God's glory in Jesus as he displays his glory as, as this radiant light, okay? Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So here appears Moses and Elijah, and they start having a conversation with, with Jesus. Okay? Because the focus is Jesus. Okay? 
Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. And every pastor that, like sermon I listened to, every research thing I did, every one of those pastors, it's interesting, they would all say, when you, when you're, when you don't know what to say, just don't say anything. Okay? And that was, would be a good advice for Peter right here. Okay? Which is interrupting the conversation anyway. Like, who interrupts Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking? Like, I would, I would be smart enough to go, I'm just going to wait until they ask me a question. Okay, I'm not supply. I'm gonna just sit back and look very spiritual and nod my head. That's what that when a bunch of pastors get together, you know, that's what I do. We sit around. I just you know look very stoic. Okay, um, that's that's my way of handling it. Um, for he didn't know how to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In the this is in Matthew, I think it's 14, and it's also in Luke 9. Uh, in the Luke version, it says fully, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, okay, because we'll see that later. Um, so don't be confused, okay? All at once, they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. So this happens. There they are. They talk about something. Elijah and Moses talk to Jesus about something, okay, which will... I'll, I'll tell you what they talked about in a moment. You're like, it's, how do you know what they talked about? Well, it's in the Bible. So we'll talk, we'll, I'll show you where that is in just a moment, okay? Just not in this account, okay? But so, so he takes them, Peter, James, and John. This is the inner circle of guys. Like there's, there's the, the apostles, the disciples, and then there's like this inner circle, this core group, okay? Core group of guys that, it's the same guys he'll take into the Garden of Gethsemane as he goes in to pray and he takes three on in. He takes these three guys on in with him and he tells them to stay up with him and pray, right? Ask them, he, he specifically, stay awake and pray. And what they do, they fall asleep, okay? And, and they, you know, if you read other accounts of this one too, they do the same thing here, these guys that are up there, Okay? They're awoken by this transfiguration, actually. They're, they're supposed to be, Jesus asked them to go with him, stay awake and pray, and they fall asleep again here, okay? Well, they'll fall asleep again at the garden, okay? And I, I think what it is, is this is these guys' way of handling depression, okay? I mean, because when you're depressed, you sleep a lot sometimes, right? So I think they're like upset. Jesus keeps talking about he's going to die. They're depressed, and so while they're praying, they just fall asleep, okay? But it's the same three guys he'll take them into the garden. So he takes them up on a high mountain. Which mountain? Some say it was Mount Tabor, Tabor, however you'll say it, uh, which is much further away to the south. It's a lower hill. It's more rounded. It's, it's not really a mountain mountain. Okay. So, so that doesn't, it didn't really fly with me given some of the research I did. Uh, the mountain wasn't really a high mountain. It's just not a high mountain in in the Middle East, okay? Um, I believe it was Mount, you'd say Hermon is the actual pr proper pronunciation here in Granger County. We just say Herman, right? Mount Herman. Um, it was a, 
um, like Herman Munster, that's how we say it. it. It was a high mountain. That teach some people Appalachian American language. It, it's, it was a very high, it's the highest mountain in the Middle East at 9,200 feet, 9,200 and something feet, okay? It's where they were at the time. In, cha in chapter 8, verse 27, it tells us that, that they were in Caesarea Philippi, which is right below, right at, and given the days of six to eight days, this is, um, this is where they would be. Like they wouldn't have had, it would have been far to travel down to Mount Tabor, as we'd say here, right? Um, and so it's where they were. And it's a high mountain. It would be referred to as a high mountain. Mount Tabor wouldn't, okay? It says that's the area that they're in. Um, not that that's greatly important. It is, okay? But, but on, and, and how this relates to the story of the two guys are there, Moses and Elijah and Mount Sinai, it, it becomes very important because of what happened with both those guys there. Okay, and here we are on a high mountain again with those two guys. But in, on in verse 2, it says he was transfigured, trained, changed form right before them, Peter, James, and John. Not just an appearance, but there's a form change, not internal change, but form change. So here's Jesus glowing, whiter than anything um, known to them. I mean, basically, that's what they're saying. As you read the accounts, it's like, we don't even know how to describe it. And Mark gets even goofier in saying, we can't even clean clothes that white. Right? That sounds like something somebody say around here. Dude, he is so white. I've never seen nothing bleached like that fur. Right? It's just, it's crazy. Okay? And and so it says that he was radiant. It's, it's What is interesting here, this is the part that I go, we go, wow, that he would change form and look like that. Okay, that that he that he was glowing like that. Isn't that amazing to see? And here and here's where I went. Well, wait a minute. This is Jesus. Like, and what's more interesting is if you think about it in this way, is it's strange that he wasn't glowing all the time on earth. He's Jesus. He's the manifestation of God. I mean, he. This is the glory of God, right? Hello. But he is veiled in flesh as a man, fully God, fully man. Okay, so he's he's pulling back the man part for just a moment on this mountain to let them see, even still, just a partial display of his glory. This is not a full display of his glory. Okay, it, but it's interesting to me that he didn't have some kind of glow on him all the time. Like, how, how do you contain that? Like, it would take God to contain that, right? He is veiled in flesh as a man, incarnate God. And for this moment, the veil is partially removed. And these three guys get to see the glorified Jesus. It's, it's still a partial revealing. Since we know the Bible says no man can see God's face and live, right? And, it, and in the new heaven, new earth, like I talked about earlier, it talks about Jesus radiates this glory so much that in, in the new heaven, new earth, when, when all things said and done, when light will come from Jesus, will fill the earth, and there'll be no more night. It will, it will be constant day. And, we will, and it says we won't need the sun. Jesus will be our light. That's how much light. God's glory will then fill the earth, right? Always day in the Bible, it says in Revelation. And if you're taking notes, a couple places you'll want to write down and look at later. Daniel chapter 10, okay? 
This is where it gets scary, right? Daniel chapter 10, Revelation chapter 1, both of those things. It's it's as if these disciples, I don't know if I'd say, are getting transported into a time tunnel, so to say, to see the glorified state of the Son of God like Daniel saw a preview of in chapter 10, right? And like John wrote about in his vision when he saw the hair of Jesus on his head, white like wool, it says. See, he's trying to explain how this looks. As white as nobody could launder. He says, white like wool. His eyes were were a flame of fire. His feet were as uh, burnished bronze, right? Just this bright, glorious, emanating form, okay? And so these three are able to see it here, right? I'm, I'm going to skip ahead. But, just, but then Moses and Elijah appear, and it says they appear in glory too, but I, I don't believe that that was their, they're not appearing in their glory. It's They're close to Jesus, so they're in this, they've been brought there in, the, in, in a way that only God could do, and, and they're standing in His glory. So that's reflecting off them, like when Moses would go up on the mountain and it reflects reflected off him as he came down. Notice there's a difference between just this glowing that that Moses had and Jesus, how he's emanating the light. Okay? It's all just a reflection. But but why these two guys? Why would he bring these two guys? Right? That becomes the very important part of this. Okay? These guys are the are the two seasons. There's multiple reasons I'll give you for why these two guys. But this is the part of stuff that I go a man couldn't just write this and make this stuff up and it connect to all this stuff the way it does, okay? These two guys are where I see in the Old Testament, as I talked about um, being a cessationist versus continuationist and when we talked about spiritual gifts and miraculous spiritual gifts. In the Old Testament, during these two times are the only times that you see miracles at the hands of men. It's, it's Moses, the plagues, and all that parting of the Red Sea, all that stuff. During that time, there's Moses, and then there's Elijah. Fire comes down from heaven, all that. There's these two seasons of miracles, okay? And the only other one in the Bible is the third, is Jesus in the New Testament. And there becomes a time when all that, as he ascends, it eventually tapers off and you don't see the healings and all that stuff going on anymore. Okay? So, this is, to me, this is important. Okay? The two seasons of the Old Testament where miracles happen at the hands of men. Moses was a, and then there's other reasons. Moses was a lawgiver. Okay? He, he was the one thought of a Mosaic law, Ten Commandments. This, he, he's an important guy as far as establishing the law in the Old Testament. He represents the law. Right, and Elijah was considered the greatest of the prophets in the Old Testament, trying to bring the children of Israel back to God in this from all these nations that were pagan and things going on. Right, it, bringing them back because it has to continue. His people had to always have a remnant. There always had to be people to lead to Jesus to get us where we are today. Right, so this is the guy that single-handedly does this as he goes up on the mountain calls down fire against the prophets of Baal and all that and the, the, the battle of whose altar would get consumed, right? He's considered the greatest prophet of the Old Testament trying to bring them back. Many miracles at his hands. And he was considered the pinnacle, so to say, of the prophets. Okay? 
So one who is represented, who represents the law, and one who represents the prophets. It's as if the law and the prophets are bringing testimony to Jesus, this is the Messiah. You get that? Okay. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. You remember what it says about Jesus, that he is the, he's the fulfillment of, all, of the law and the prophets, right? Like all of all and prophets speak of him. It's all pointing to him. He's the fulfillment of all that stuff. So, so here are the two greatest examples or men that they listened to that they would go, who would have the most credibility of anybody in the Old Testament that if they said, that's the guy, that they would go, then that's the guy. It would be Moses and Elijah, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. So, so you get that. So here they are, both Moses and Elijah. And, and those two guys, if you remember, had a vision of God's glory on Mount Sinai. They've both had these experiences themselves of, of, of amazing things. Both Moses and Elijah were also both rejected by the children of Israel during one stage in their ministry. Okay, so they've been there too. They took up their cross and followed him in a, in a faith forward speaking. Okay? So it's interesting, if you think about it too, um, Elijah didn't die. You remember that? He, he, he didn't die, but was taken up to heaven in a chariot, right? And here he is. And the body of Moses is buried where? Don't know, right? We know an area. Do not know where his tomb is. Don't know. And it's intentional. The Bible is intentional about it. he was buried where, where he can't be found. Okay? Isn't that interesting? And then for this to happen, and we're talking about something that was wrote back here, and it matches here, and it correlates to Revelation. Man, there's no way this stuff was, was just made up, right? It, it, he was taken and buried in a certain area, but no one knows where his tomb is, as Deuteronomy tells us, okay? And yet in Jude 9, what's it tell us in Jude 9? My, my end time guys are already, like, already nodding, going, yeah, right? Jude 9, right? Michael the archangel and Satan have a little deal, have a little confrontation, right? They contend with one another, it says, and dispute over the body of Moses. Okay, interesting, isn't it? Why would God send Michael to protect the body of Moses? And and why would the devil want to get rid of or desecrate the body of Moses? Like, why would that, why would those two things be? Right. Here we are, transfiguration. Interesting stuff going on, right? It's why I believe God brings these guys out here in this moment. Not known for sure, but I believe it's my opinion from the scriptures I've read. I believe that's also an indication of of something future that happens. Okay, but I believe, and I'll get to why these two guys are so important for them a little more. But I just want to throw this in there too, because this is this is important from back then, contending over him to here they are on the transfiguration. What's another reason why Satan wouldn't want him to be there? Why wouldn't Satan want Moses or Elijah to be there? Particularly Moses, right? It's why I believe it's also an indication of what the Bible refers to in Revelation 11 of the two witnesses that are coming at the end times, right? Tribulation, okay? 
just listen to these to these things. Revelation 11, I didn't put this up there, so it's okay. Just It says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. There are, there, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. Remember, Elijah called down fire from heaven to devour the offering against the false prophets. Interesting. That's, there's tie-ins that I go, definitely Moses, most likely Elijah, is the two, these two witnesses that Revelation speaks of. Okay? And so it says, they have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls on the days of their prophecy. Now they prophesy for three and a half years. Okay? And it's interesting that Elijah commanded the rain to stop in the Old Testament for how long? Remember? Three and a half years. Okay? The same description of what Elijah did, one of these two witnesses will be able to do. Okay? But listen to the rest. And they had the power over waters to turn them to blood. That sounds like a plague, doesn't it? Okay? And to strike the earth with all plagues, right? As often as they desire. Who was able to do that in the Old Testament? Moses, right? So you see the... Okay? It doesn't specifically say, I want to clarify, it doesn't say it will be Moses and Elijah. This is just putting together context of Scripture to go, I think it's those two guys, right? Moses with the Nile River. So it certainly would be a, a powerful witness to the Jewish, Jewish nation in the tribulation period, right? Ob- okay, and disclaimer, obviously I'm premillennial dispensationalist. And I, that, that can somehow affect your view of a lot of these things. Non-essential stuff. Okay, we can disagree. It's, it's all good, right? But it's, it would be a powerful witness to the Jewish nation for these two guys to be there, as well as to these three guys standing on this mountain. Okay? To have Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, show up. And I believe they'll show up. Because again, the prophet Malachi predicted Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. There's that part too before the great tribulation reaches its pinnacle. Okay, Now, we could get into the timing of this event as well because this is happening during the month of Tishri. Okay? This is six months before Jesus will go to the cross, before all that happens. And it's during a time called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Okay? It's happening during this month, a time when the Jews would celebrate their exodus from Egypt. Hello? See the tie in there too? So we're doing this at that time. Here's Moses. Okay. So so they're looking back in celebration of their freedom from Egypt, and they're also looking forward in this celebration to what God's going to do. Okay? And there's Elijah, the prophet who tells of what's to come, right? Prophecies being fulfilled. And here we have Peter responding, saying, Hey, listen, this is great that all you guys are here. Why don't I just build you guys three tabernacles and we'll just stay here? You see what he's you see what he's trying to do? What his thinking is is yes, I want to. There's an honoring motivation there, but there's also a hey, this is great. Let's just skip all that cross, going to the cross and suffering. 
let's just set up the kingdom here. Let's make camp here. Kingdom established. We skip all that stuff. All good. You get to go down. Rome kicked out. Jesus is king. Look at him. I mean, he's glowing. Like He's going to walk down there and just destroy all of our enemies. It's all over with. This is great. In his anxiety, I guess, he's like, let's just skip all that tough stuff. Let's set, hey, Jesus, I'm going to just, just go ahead and set up tabernacle and just stay here and sit, meditate, right? Pray together and just love each other and be conflict avoidant, right? I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's what's going on in him probably. And so, and so here they are during this, this feast of the tabernacle, this celebration. And it's good that he was thinking of them to do something for him, or was he? Becomes the question. I'm certainly not criticizing Peter. I probably would have done the same thing, right? But Peter wanted to stay and enjoy the moment and, and, and sit in tents and get the kingdom set up instead of going to the cross, watching Jesus go to the cross and all this talk of dying and that kind of thing. So, didn't want to go back down the mountain to the cross. And and that's, for us, it's that way, isn't it? Are you getting the parallel? We love the mountaintop experiences, right? Let's go to this conference. It's great worship. Let's go to, let's do this. Oh, I love going here. I love this. And we long for those mountaintop experiences, which are is great. It's it's what we were made for God. And, and, and so, being in his presence and experiencing that, that's what we long for because it's what we were made for. But in the meantime, while we're here to live as Christ, to die as gain, right? In the meantime, we're to, we're to be here living as Christ and understanding we have to take up our cross daily and follow him. There, there's there's going to be valleys right now. One day, eternal, kingdom set up forever, mountaintop the rest of our lives. Eternity. But now we have to go back down the mountain. We'll get to go up every now and then, see Jesus. And he says, But I need you to go back down the valley. Okay. And I'm not you know, I'm not particularly talking about poor valleys. Some of you go, Yeah, there's valleys around here. I'm talking about there's gonna be low spots, there's gonna be tough times. Jesus is clear, even for us today, we enjoy that for a moment. But in this time, we go back down the mountain with him and carry our cross and deny ourselves and serve people and share the gospel in the valleys where it's hard. We often need, as these guys did, to see the glory of God to anchor us down to endure the suffering, right? A time of strengthening for tougher times to come. Right? And think think about this on a side note. Um, many would, even if I, as I have at times, thought, well, how, like Moses was so faithful, like he got more right than I'll ever get right. Like Moses was an incredible man of the faith and, and what he did, and um, yet he never got to enter the promised land. And don't we read that story and go, like, why do you have to do that to Moses? That's not fair, right? Right? Like, that's frustrating, right? As you read that story. But but then, 
Now you read a story like this. Here he is on a mountain where? In the place he wasn't allowed to go, right? With Jesus, transfiguration, okay? He got to go in, okay? More than that, he's with Jesus. The promised land, isn't that the way we are too? We keep longing for the promised land. Don't Anybody wants to break out in Beulah land, you can go for it, okay? Well, I know Liz can sing it good, okay? But isn't that us? We we do long for that, but, but you know what makes that place great? Jesus. It's not the land. It's not that it's the promised land. It's not that it's heaven. It's not that it's new heaven, new earth. It's not what makes all that great. What's great is that it's always day because there's light emanating from Jesus and He is the thing we need the most. And we get to enjoy Him. Like It'll just overshadow everything else that we can imagine heaven would be. Because we often go, well, we get to this in heaven? Will we do this in heaven? Will we do this in heaven? That's why you hear the stories about people, they get a glimpse into heaven and they're like, yeah, I died for however many minutes or whatever and I got to go to heaven. Okay? Well, if you come... I heard one guy explain it this way. Um, I believe it's Matt Chandler said, if you go to heaven and come back, and your story is, I got to sit on a swing with Pappy for a while, then you probably didn't go to heaven. Because that's not going to be the great thing about heaven. If you go to heaven and you see things like John explained in Revelation, then may, yeah, then maybe you went to heaven. Okay? But if it's about your own personal enjoyment things and yeah, I got to be with loved ones and sip lemonade on the front porch with grandma and you know, people had gone before and that's if that's what it's about. All that will be overshadowed. Yeah, we'll enjoy the company and fellowship of each other. But but in comparison, you you couldn't step into heaven and go, Okay, there's Jesus and there's a friend of mine, or there's an old relative or and go you know what the great thing about being there was? I got to see so-and-so. You'll go, hey, good to see you. Excuse me. I mean, it'll just be like, there's Jesus, right? Now, I look forward to the conversations and things, especially with like, you know, you hear me talk about, I, I look forward to being in heaven. I think we'll have plenty of time for conversations and saying, hey, Moses, what really happened there? What was the deal? Like, I think we'll, I think that'll be great, but Jesus will be the main attraction, right? And so Moses died before they go in the promise yet, and let here, and yet here he is, talking to Jesus face to face, seeing his glory, much less what will be an eternity that he'll get experience, and he is experiencing. You, you hear this voice come from heaven come from God at that point. There's this cloud that forms around them. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Making it clear, Jesus is above these other two. He's saying, listen. Okay? Because this is an important part of this. Okay? He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The two guys that are standing there. And, and what he's saying is, you have listened. Peter, James, and John. You have listened to the teachings of Moses and Elijah all your life. Like everything's been about all of this. But I'm telling you now, those were about Jesus, and now you need to listen to Jesus. 
if, if you want the Messiah, right there he is. And Moses and Elijah are looking at you going, right there he is. And they're telling you, because we know what they're ta- talking about, okay? Not just, you've listened to them all your life, and now Jesus has the final word for you, Peter, James, and John. Not just that. It, it said here that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus. What were they saying? Okay? The Luke account of this story in verse 30 and 31 of Luke 9 tells us, okay? It says this in verse Luke 9, 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what are they talking about? They're talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross in six months. So here he is on this mountain, Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about this in front of Peter, James, and John. He's telling them, look, you're not getting the part of the cross and what this means. You're not getting how this is going to come about, and I need you to get how it comes about so that when all these things take place, you can look back and go, but I know he was the real deal. I know he was the Messiah beyond a shadow of a doubt, and now now I need to go and make disciples of all nations. I need to do the Great Commission because that was for real. The topic of discussion that Peter interrupts is his crucifixion, his death. Not what the disciples wanted or thought should be talked about, I'm sure. They wanted to talk about, let's say, hey, let's have a discussion about the overthrow of Rome, about the kingdom coming and set up forever. But no, the point of the transfiguration is to communicate to the disciples what's coming. The crucifixion and to give them the anchor for faith actually by sight to get through it. To make it clear to them what's coming. To validate what is happening through the law and prophets in a way they would understand. Okay? To validate what's happening. Confirming testimony of two witnesses. And we can get into all kinds of ways that that's important. Right? bringing charge, you know, validating the truth between two or three. Like if you say something against somebody, particularly elders in the Bible, it says if you bring a charge against them, it needs to be the witness of two or three. Matthew 18, if if you have something against somebody, you you have find there's something between you, you go talk to them. If they don't respond, you take two or three with you, okay, to, to witness it. There's, there's a big validation of, of why it needs to be confirmed by two or more witnesses, right? And the most credible witnesses there could be for these guys, understanding that principle, Moses and Elijah, the miracle guys, the Exodus guys, the freedom guy, the heroic guy fighting against all the law-breaking of the nations and turning people back to God through the miracles. No prophet like Elijah was. Confirming to them that the plan was for real that they saw as a stumbling block. No better way for these guys to get that than from Moses and Elijah. Okay, And this is... A very rare thing for God to to do, to let someone see his glory like this. He's preparing them for the Great Commission. So he's letting them move their faith from, from, here's Jesus veiled, we just see a man and we're hearing this and we're witnessing these miracles. We're just moving the faith from hearing to sight. They need this to get through what's coming and God in his providential will allows this to happen for his purposes. Remembering 
that this is the turning point in the Gospels when we got to Mark chapter 8, verse 26. Remember, so you could draw a line, the continental divide in the Gospels when Jesus turns from the Jews and the Gentiles to preparing his disciples over this next six months to launch the church for the Great Commission. And so he begins all that with this transfiguration on the mountain. They were struggling with the plan and they needed something more to hang on to until the Holy Spirit arrived. And so when you read things in other places in Scripture, it'll make more sense to you when, when you get this. Okay? Bringing the plane in for landing. We're circling the airport, okay? When you get this, what's happening here in the Transfiguration, then you'll read in other places things and you go, that's what he means. I always thought it was this, but this is what he means. So like Second Peter this is Peter, who was there. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 18 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Like that brings new meaning to that when, you see, when, he, when he says, I'm, I'm not just making stuff up. I was an eyewitness to, to his glory, to his majesty. To, like I get it, right? For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. And then he quotes it. This is how you know what he's talking about. I mean, he quotes it. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Like he's referring back to that, to the transfiguration, right? So you'll read things in other places in the Bible and go, look, there it is. That was very important to Peter. That was, he's saying, you, you know how, what held, has held me? What, what, you know what, how I can prove, what proves to me and should prove to you that I'm not making this whole thing up? I saw him transfigured on the mountain. I saw Moses and Elijah. God validated him. I know he was the Messiah. John. Peter, James, and John, right? John 1.14, famous, like you hear this scripture a lot, okay? Christmas verse, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Anybody know the rest of that? No, right? That's, what, that's the only part we know. What does it say after that? And we saw his glory, right? Now that brings new meaning to that when you know John was there on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God was there, validated him, like we saw his glory. It's all about the glory of God revealed in his Son, okay? Jesus is the revelation of God's glory, and, and that glory is best seen by us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's, for us, it's not the, Mount, it's not the transfiguration, we look back as well to the cross. We look forward as well to what's to come and eternity, new heaven, new earth. We look, at, we look back and we look forward. But the, that event of the crucifixion and the resurrection, all this stuff points to that, to his glory, the forgiveness we've received from his death on the cross, to have a relationship with God. It's to be focused, all that to be focused on Jesus. We look back and we look forward as well. And through our relationship with Jesus, we long for his return physically again. Okay? In all his glory, standing in our faith until that day, knowing our faith is not in vain, because 
of looking back at the cross, the, the resurrection, and, and what held those guys through as a moment up here transfiguration that they got to see His glory. And then they struggled through those difficult times, didn't always get it right. But the anchor that held them, the glory of God. It's, it's, it's all about His glory. It gives us strength too for those hard times, for the times we don't understand. Why does it have to happen this way? Anybody else ever ask that question? Okay. Isn't it comforting to know Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, struggled with that very same thing. Why does it have to happen this way? Even Jesus will get to the garden and say, God, if there's any other way, right? But not but not my glory, right? Not my, not, but not for me, right? That it, we have to get to that point where we can say, hey, but not my will, Father, yours be done. It's, it's not about me, it's not about my glory, it's about your glory. It's what it's always been about. For us, the glory comes later. Right. For now, it's bearing our cross. But that bearing our cross is all worth it when we know the glory to come. We know Jesus will be there with us forever. And that makes it all worth it. Let me close with this. You guys can come on back up to get ready to sing, but let me close with this. Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. There's a lot there. I, can't, I don't have time. We're out of time, right? His transfigured body and how we'll be changed. Right? New glorified bodies. By the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. Right? So, in the meantime, we suffer the cross for the sake of the gospel, knowing that that's coming. And that it'll be all worth it for that. So, don't, don't sell out to earthly things and temporary things. It's all about God and His glory and what is to come. So let's pray. Father, help us. We just ask You to help us stay focused on the plan that You have for our lives, the plan that is not ours, but Yours. Father, we, we just admit the plan is Yours, not ours. We want it to be ours. We want it done our way. But you're in charge, not us. If we're yours, then we have to say, God, your will, not mine. It's about your glory, not mine. 
thank you for the revealing of your glory and your son Jesus, for us to be able to see, to have that anchor to know. The Bible speaks of how we have an anchor for the soul. It's Jesus crucified for us, that forgiveness. And so we, th we thank you that through your word we have a clear revelation of Jesus. And we, can, we can have confidence in who you are. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives us assurance and also convicts us when we're off track. And I pray that each person here would know the truth and be set free by it. Free from the burden of, of sin. Free from the burden of punishment of sin. And free to live for you and for your great purpose for them. I, I'm so glad. God, I am so glad that you didn't skip the cross. That Jesus didn't say, yeah, let's set up those tabernacles and let's just skip all that. But he included us in this great plan. And so, Father, it's your glory we long to see. And so we pray all of this in the beautiful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.